0: I'm Tavik Nasir and this is Leadership Biz Café, a podcast that provides insights and tools to help leaders take on the challenges and opportunities found in leading today's workplaces. Leadership Biz Café is brought to you by Tavik Nasir Leadership, our leadership firm that offers keynotes and corporate trainings in both in-person and virtual settings that will help you to improve the way you lead and guide your organization's growth and future successes. Now, if you've been enjoying my podcast and the insights and tools I've been sharing on how you can improve your leadership craft, and you're interested in having me expand on them with your team and organization, I'd like to invite you to check out my speaking page on our website at Tamvernasir.com to learn more about some of the topics I can discuss at your upcoming event. And now, I'd like to introduce my guest for this episode, Joel Garfinkel. Joel is the author of 11 books and over 300 articles on leadership. He's been recognized as one of the top 50 executive coaches in the United States, and his executive coaching clients include Google, Amazon, Microsoft, Deloitte, Ritz-Carlton, and the NBA. I've spoken with Joel many years ago on this podcast, and I've invited Joel to come back so we can talk about his latest book, the number one Amazon bestseller, Executive Presence, Step Into Your Power, Convey Confidence, and Lead with Conviction. Hi, Joel. Welcome to the Leadership Biz Cafe. It's nice to have you back. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm very excited to uh, speak to your audience and hopefully provide some value. So, Joel, the reason why I wanted to speak with you on the show again is to talk about your book, Executive Presence. Now, when we think of the idea of executive presence, most of us have a notion of what it is, but maybe it's not so clearly defined. So a great place for us to begin our discussion before we dive into your book is how do you define executive presence and how critical is it to our ability to succeed in an evolving work environment like we're seeing right now
1: first off i have to say that it's amazing how many times people will say that they get together and they try to they get feedback and they say you need to improve your executive presence and the individual says well can you be more descriptive and they say well you got to improve your executive presence they don't they have a hard time being descriptive on what it means and a lot of times people have confusion about what executive presence is. And if I had to define it in a clear way, I'd say people with executive presence have a kind of a reputation for making things happen. Um, they they radiate confidence in their interactions. They It means they communicate with conviction and clarity. Uh, they avoid ambiguity, don't come across as um, unsure of themselves. And they have a kind of bold and decisive Decision maker uh, and come across as professional and competent. So, to cultivate executive presence, it's important for people to look at how, how do they show up at work, how do they speak, how do they, how do they make decisions. Because um, the key thing about executive presence is you gotta. You, people who have it exude a certain magnetism that grabs people's attentions, and people lean in and really want to listen to them.
0: Right, and I'm so glad you brought up this phrase, Joel, of It's about how we're showing up, because I think for a lot of leaders, there's not a lot of thought and intention really put into that. I mean, they'll focus like for a meeting. okay, what's the agenda? What's the talking points I need to bring across? But there's never that kind of intentionality of thinking about when I walk into that room, what is leading into that room before me that's going to set the stage for what I need to communicate? What is the emotional context? And while I'm communicating, how much am I really paying attention to how the message is landing and whether I'm actually influencing people to really understand where I want them to go and what it is that I want to see us moving forward and accomplishing.
1: Yeah, you said that really well. And I think it really comes down to how are, when you're showing up, how are people perceiving you? And most people don't think about that. They show up, they do their job, they let their personality drive interactions and discussions. And sometimes their personality can be too strong, too vocal, too communicative, to such a degree that they end up, when they present, they provide way too many details and too much information and they lose their audience. Or sometimes someone's in a meeting and they're really quiet and passive and don't speak up very much. There's an impression that gets created that can undermine a person's executive presence.
0: Absolutely. So let's get into the heart of your book here, Joel, where you've come up with what you call the three by three executive presence model which consists of three domains, each of which is defined by three specific competencies, which basically means nine distinct competencies you need to have to demonstrate executive presence. Now, we don't have time to cover all nine. So to start us off here, Joel, could you briefly describe what these three domains are and what they look like in practice?
1: Yeah, so the the three are, first one is the three domains is gravitas. And under a gravitas, as a leader, you want to come across as confident, commanding, and charismatic. So it's really about radiating a self-assuredness and a power by projecting confidence and charisma um, and and really commanding the room. So that's the gravitas piece. The next one is authority. And with authority, you're, you're coming across as someone who's decisive, bold, and influential. So you project certainty in your decisions, you're persuasive and compelling as your assertiveness gives others confidence in your ideas. So that's you come across as having, you act with authority. And the last one is about expression. So we got gravitas, authority and expression. With expression, expression, you're consistently um, vocal and you're making great recommendations. You're speaking up, you're asking excellent questions. Um, You share your ideas succinctly. You're polished, prepared, and professional in all your communications. It's really about speaking up, being insightful, but making sure you're also succinct and to the point. And that's the third area, which is expression.
0: And so what are the nine distinct competencies then inside that model that we then need to be focusing on to really help us develop our executive presence?
1: So under Gravitas, the three are confident
0: commanding,
1: and charismatic. So you wanna come across as a leader who's confident, commanding, and charismatic. When you do that, you show gravitas. You enhance and elevate your executive presence. Uh, Under authority, you have decisive, bold, and influential. So this is how you wanna act. You wanna act as someone who is decisive, who's able to make bold decisions, and is able to influence others. And then the third column is expression. The three competencies are being vocal, insightful, and clear.
0: You know, I have to tell you, Joel, one thing I appreciated when reading about your executive presence model is how the competencies you describe here, in which you just mentioned and listed for us here, are things that anyone can develop and exhibit. Though I do think that for some leaders, especially women in leadership positions, they can find themselves getting pushback if they were to display such behaviors. For example, If a woman leader acts confident or commanding, they're often seen as being aggressive or bossy. Or if they're decisive or vocal, they get told by their colleagues that they're being difficult and loud. Now, both of us are men, and as such, we don't have that hands on experience with dealing with that kind of gender bias. I know you have much experience working as an executive coach with women leaders on how they could develop their executive presence. So before we dive into those various competencies, could you offer some advice you've shared with the women leaders you've worked with on what they can do and how to view the development, of these competencies that are needed for executive presence?
1: It, it it puts them in a difficult situation. And what I often have seen with women I've coached who've been in similar situations is I I, I say how important it is to take the situation and the circumstance that they're in and decide is this a time where my executive presence, I might need to dial it back a bit because I don't want to be perceived as arrogant or unapproachable or too aggressive because in this type of situation, some of the people in the audience where I'm showing up, whether it's a meeting whether it's a presentation, whether it's a certain situation or, or project update, you have to look at the audience and look at the situation and recognize sometimes I need to dial back my executive presence and not come across too confident, too commanding. And then other times in situations, I need to dial it up so that you're not always acquiescing to the circumstances in the situation. You're reflective of what they are and you're still recognizing I need to show up in my power, in my strength. And I need to show up in a way that shows confidence and command and charisma. But at the same time, sometimes I need to dial back because of the circumstances and situation. And when I do that, it's going to help me not let my personality get in the
0: way because of a bias someone else might have. Thanks for sharing that, Joel. I believe it's important for us to recognize this, not only because it is an added barrier women as well as various minority groups face in today's workplaces, but I don't want that to be a reason why they don't see this as something they can put into practice to help them succeed at leadership as well. That they think that when we're discussing these ideas of executive presence, well, that's fine if we're talking about white males, but when it comes to women and people of certain minority groups, it becomes a bigger challenge. So I'm not going to think that this is relevant. Whereas, as you just pointed out, it is relevant. We just have to modulate and kind of have a better context of how we're approaching, which interestingly is also one of the elements that you describe about executive presence, which applies to everyone, that you do have to understand that the way you present some of these competencies, it's not always the same in every situation with every person. You really have to have that self-awareness to understand when, which type of competency should really be more prominent than others. Absolutely. And I think
1: sometimes people could, you know, oftentimes the leaders on coaching come to situations, especially with someone who's more senior than them, and they will put themselves in a position of holding themselves back because that person's in a position of power or authority and be more tentative and hesitant. And it's, it's really important that you show up in your power, don't give your power away to someone who's in a position of power, Um, still hold your ground and come from some strength and clarity of of the value you do offer. And that's important to not minimize yourself in any way. And so a lot of times I I get leaders who are put in situations where they do hold themselves back a bit. And I think that that's the part that we want to really watch out for.
0: I love the fact that you keep bringing this point of not delegating or putting down your own power, which is not just based on your title or position. I think what's important people understand is that we also have to look at these situations, and remind ourselves that we were hired to do this position because people saw that we had value to bring to the team, to the organization. And that's what we're talking about when we're discussing about our power. It's that there are abilities, there's experiences, there's insights that we bring to the table, which are uniquely ours, which is why we were given this opportunity And so we shouldn't overlook that as we start to get more comfortable in this role, that those ideas and that power no longer is relevant or pertinent.
1: You said that so well. It's it's our knowledge and our expertise that we want to fully bring to all situations. Thus, if we hold ourselves back in any way by being less vocal, by not being bold, by being less uh, decisive and being more indecisive and tentative we're not then letting others know all the knowledge and all the insights and all the credibility that we bring to situations and so the more we can show up fully in our power the more the the leadership in the company takes advantage of our competence and the more
0: engaged we feel in the work we do okay so let's look at that first domain in your executive presence model gravitas and there's a great point you make about this domain and that is that this is about something we discussed earlier That's really about how you show up, not just when certain people with certain titles or positions are around, but that this is who you are. And Gravitas requires us having three competencies, which you mentioned earlier, of being confident, commanding, and charismatic. And of the three, the one I see most people struggling with is how to be more charismatic because we often think of it as something you're born with. But what helps is kind of adjusting our understanding of charisma. And there's a quote you share from Ralph Archbold that really evokes this. And it is this idea that charisma is the transference of enthusiasm. And I really like that idea that we start realizing, again, it's something we've been discussing just in broad strokes, but it's this idea of what it is that we are presenting or bringing forth through our interactions with people and what we're communicating, what we're messaging. So how do we develop this competency? and use it towards building our executive presence here, Joel? I, I'm thinking of a leader I'm working with right now
1: who, um, he, had, he had trouble with the charismatic competency uh, of the nine executive presence competencies. And he said, you know, he, he's more soft-spoken. He's, he's Asian. Um, he was raised to be more humble and soft-spoken, a little more quiet voice. He's not the most demonstrative and powerful person in the room yet he just got a new role. And in this role, he has a tremendous amount of responsibility, leadership and oversees a huge, large number of people and projects and realizes that the amount of charisma he needs to bring to his work needed to be elevated. And what we did is we realized his personality, he's not gonna be the most charismatic person in the room. That's just not him. So what I did is I broke down the definition of charisma and I said, "Well, could you rate more? Could you radiate more enthusiasm, as you said with that quote? Is that could he have more? Could he be more enthusiastic and have more energy and excitement about what he's speaking about?" And he said, "Okay, yeah, I could do that." I said, "Could you have a more optimistic attitude?" He said, "Yeah, I can work on that." I said, "Could you motivate and inspire others and let more of your passion out?" Because I say, "Do you care about your work?" He says, "Yeah." Do you care about the? He's in the um, biotech industry, I said, do you care about patients and, and the science? And he's like, oh yeah, absolutely. I go, let's let more of that passion out so people can feel it because if they can feel the passion, they can feel your energy, they can feel the enthusiasm, then charisma starts being a transference that people start to receive when you start to um, bring forward more of that positive
0: and enhanced energy. Absolutely. And this is one of the reasons why I want to discuss this particular competency with you, because again, it's something that becomes a bit nebulous when we talk about, okay, how are you showing up as a leader in your organization? And this helps us have a better qualifier. But again, if we think about it, I don't want people to suddenly be imagining that, okay, for me to be charismatic, I need to be a cheerleader in my organization. I always have to be, you know, always positive and uplifting because many organizations are facing a lot of uncertainty about the next few months and years. And so it can be challenging to be enthusiastic. So how do they make sure then that they're not being Pollyannish in their attitudes where some people are starting to roll their eyes at you because you just seem like you're being more of the cheerleader rather than being somebody who's as much as you've got a foot in reality, you're also being optimistic about what it is you can accomplish despite what obstacles that stand before you.
1: Yeah. I think the key thing is you want to be authentic. Uh, Charisma comes from being yourself. Um, and when you can be authentic and real, um, people can become more interested in what you're saying. You also, I think it's important to tell stories. You know, people are naturally drawn to stories. So you can use them to your advantage because when you can tell stories that people are drawn to and interested in, charisma comes can be a part of it. And another key part of charisma is confidence. So the more you have self-confidence and really start to build on your strengths and your accomplishments you then come forward with more charisma. That can be a key
0: component and they can relate to each other quite well. As you were describing this idea of how we can use stories to kind of illustrate this idea of where we can go going forward has actually got me thinking about a competency I wanted to discuss in the second domain of your leadership executive presence model of authority, where we need to develop the competencies of being decisive, influential, and bold And here, the competency I wanted to talk with you about is bold, because if we look at the ongoing tug of war over the future of work and supporting employees, not, as I said, not just when times are good, but when the organization is at risk of hitting rough waters, I can't say right now, if we look at things, we're not seeing a lot of bold leadership out there, which is why we're seeing, again, so much pushback as the lack of this competency is impacting the authority of these leaders. So what are leaders missing here in being bold and what should leaders be doing instead so they can display more executive presence and really rally people around their leadership and vision?
1: I think the key thing is recognizing that it's sometimes more difficult to be bold when we're touching fear. And so it's working with the fear and be able to eradicate the fear and push it aside and recognize that I, as a leader, people are looking to me to make bold decisions, to put a stake in the ground and really own a position and be willing to to stand by your beliefs and convictions and willing to challenge and push back on certain situations. So it's really leaning into the situations you're presented with and recognize, how can I be a bold leader? Even taking that statement and start to practice that statement on a regular basis and ask yourself, how do I be a bold leader in this meeting? How do I be more of a bold leader this week so that you're looking at ways that you can go out of your comfort zone and out of your people's comfort zone and make bold decisions that actually move the needle for the organization, for your group and the people you manage?
0: I know at the beginning of our conversation, we said how there are nine competencies that are needed for executive presence. And I'm sure people are like, oh, my God, there's nine things I now have to be mindful of doing. But if you've been paying attention, as you were discussing how we could be bold One thing that came to mind was going back to the previous domain of Gravitas and how two of the competencies we need to have to demonstrate that domain is that we have to be confident and commanding. And again, if you're going to be bold, once you know you have that confidence and assuredness and you have that sense of commanding where you speak, people want to listen because they believe that you have something of value to share, it becomes easier for us to be bold. It becomes easier for us to... Go for our own version of the moonshot, because we know people are going to say, "You know what? I'm not sure, but seeing your confidence and knowing your abilities and knowing how much you understand our collective abilities, I'm going to follow you because I believe in your leadership, which again, we can start to see there is really that executive presence that we're talking about.
1: And as a leader of people, you have to recognize that you're going to be out of your comfort zone if you're feeling a hesitancy to be bold. If you're feeling a hesitancy to be really decisive and make the tough decisions that need to be made, if you're having hesitancy to really take charge and, and take, have a sense of command of a situation or have confidence and believe in yourself and what you can do, all of that needs to happen because as a leader of people, people are looking to you and they're going to model what they see. And the more you believe in yourself and what you're capable of, the more other people are going to get behind your ideas. And that's true
0: leadership. Absolutely. Okay, Joel, so we've looked at the first two domains of gravitas and authority. Now I'd like to talk with you about one of the competencies in the third domain of your model expression, which is about how we communicate and sharing our insights and ideas as a leader. And in this domain, one of the competencies you describe as being vocal. Now, in many cases, when we talk about communication and leadership, the problem tends to be leaders who are not truly listening to understand what their employees are telling them. So could you explain how being more vocal as a leader addresses those numerous study findings where employees say they don't feel heard and understood by those in charge and consequently allows us as leaders to exude executive presence, which, as we said at the start of our discussion, is key to our ability to succeed at leadership? Well, a lot of times people aren't being heard.
1: You know, it makes me think about uh, uh, many leaders I've worked with over the years, and this is specifically um, tied to women because I've had women leaders I've coached who've said this has happened. They've been in a meeting and they say something and then no one really responds to what they said. And five minutes later, a male leader says the same thing and everyone says, Oh, that's a great idea. And they run with that idea. And the woman leader sits there and goes, and then they've asked me this directly. They said, why are they not listening to what I said? What's holding them back? And what I say to them is I say, it's kind of like you you have this small little pebble and you throw the pebble in in the lake and it makes a nice, very small ripple. And then you have someone who takes a boulder and throws a boulder in the lake and it makes a really big wave. And the whole idea here is how do you speak up and be vocal in such a way that your presence and your command and how you speak and how you show up with the idea you're sharing has so much weight to it, or we can call it gravitas, that other people hear and know that's an idea from so-and-so. They can feel it, they can, versus if it's subtle, hesitant, tentative, you're questioning yourself. So you deliver a very tentative passive message that no one really gets behind. So I think what, what is key here is that whenever you do speak up, make sure that you're coming across in a very strong, clear messaging with conviction, behind the idea you're sharing so that people can know it's coming
0: from you. It's interesting as you were describing this, I'm just imagining there's might be some listeners out there who are thinking, you know what, Joel, I like this idea, but honestly, I'm more of those people who fall in the introvert camp. And I'm the kind of person who you know, attends a meeting and I like to go back to my office or go back to my desk, reflect on what's said, gather my thoughts, and then I have ideas. And so it's hard for me When I go to a meeting to present those ideas, because I tend to be the person who likes to just sit quietly and maybe share in an email or share in a text message or on Slack. And again, as you pointed out, it's hard then for people to necessarily recognize the source when it's not in front of them. So in those cases, what are some things someone can do so that they can be more vocal and thereby succeed at becoming better at their executive presence? The most important thing
1: people can do, and this has been something I've advised leaders to do in the past, and every single time it's proven incredibly valuable, and I've never seen it not work well, and that is if you're introverted and you have a hard time getting your ideas to come to fruition in the moment that they need to in a meeting when you're not as quick as others, and so then you might write an email later the next day, and so then you still get your thoughts to come forward. But the thing is, in the meeting, you want to be as vocal as you possibly can. And one of the the key suggestion I have is spend two to three minutes before every meeting you attend. And think about what the agenda is and what are two or three talking points that you need to bring forward based on the agenda for that meeting. And it only takes two or three minutes. And then you go to that meeting. And because you kind of prime the pump, you got yourself more ready. Your ideas are more top of mind. So when the conversation comes around to something that you were already thinking about and you jotted down a couple ideas before the meeting, they're more readily available to be spoken. And so then people feel more engaged. They then speak up and are vocal with the ideas they thought about before the meeting, and that puts them in a position where they're actually able to share the key insights that they want to, and they become more vocal, all because they spent time preparing ahead of time for every meeting they attend.
0: I think that demonstrates that we have to strike a fine balance between making sure we're communicating consistently in however way we want to do that and clearly for what we stand for and what we're trying to do. But at the same time, we're also making sure that people see and understand the source of that, where it's coming from. And giving us the credit that it's ours, right? Again, going back to the example that you're the source, you're the origin of this idea. And to use that analogy you had about throwing a rock into a lake, creating a bigger ripple that helps you strengthen and build your executive presence.
1: And I just want to add that for introverts who can refrain from speaking up, you got to realize that your opinions really matter and you want to add value to the conversation. And I once was doing a 360 interview on a leader and I was getting feedback about this leader and they said to me, I want this person and they knew they were introverted to be one of the first people to speak up and not the ninth or 10th person, because they said we've been in meetings where it's an hour and 15 minutes into the meeting and they're finally speaking up. And the thing they share, if they shared it with one of the first two people to share really early on in the meeting. The meeting would have gone in a whole new direction that would have saved us a tremendous amount of time and instead they waited until an hour and 15 minutes into the meeting and they delayed insight and value and a perspective that we want to hear so the thing introverts need to know is that you have great ideas and you should absolutely be sharing them people want to hear your thoughts in the moment not after the fact and stop self-censoring yourself and trust yourself to participate in dialogues during meetings. You have key roles to play in the discussion. Own it, message it, communicate it so people can really hear what you have to say.
0: You know, Joe, as I was reading this part of your book, there's a scenario you write about which I couldn't help but smile because I've experienced it on more than one occasion. And it's not the introvert who waits too long to speak up. It's the other team member who basically dominates the conversation. I've experienced this both as a team member as well as being the team lead where I was the one who's basically had to keep trying to lasso the person in to let others have an opportunity to contribute. And unfortunately, especially if it's a team that you didn't create, but you walk in, it's already been set. When you have someone like that in your team, it kind of creates a habit from everyone else that they don't speak up because they're just so used to this person taking up so much of the oxygen in the room. So for those who are like, okay, oh, I know I do that, Joel. I'm very vocal at meetings. Okay. But maybe you're that leader who you're maybe a little too vocal at meetings. What are some things that they need to do to make sure they're not being that leader who's doing most of not all the talking and not leaving that space for others to contribute, for others to share, and maybe having that introvert you mentioned who over an hour into the meeting finally has the chance or they're giving themselves the permission to speak up and share something, which had they shared it earlier would have saved everyone so much time by realizing this is the better approach to take.
1: The key thing is uh, a lot of people spend, um, have a tendency, what I call is, is instead of speaking up, these people who speak too often and too much need to speak down. And And there's been a study done in which people in an hour meeting with seven or eight people that two people do 70% of the talking. And what's important for someone who is more of an extrovert, more outspoken, is comfortable speaking out loud, that's how they think, they think out loud often, versus someone who's more introverted and more analytical and thinks internally inside. If you're someone who speaks out loud and you think you have a tendency to ramble too long, what I recommend doing is getting feedback from people and ask people at meetings you are attending, do I have a tendency to speak too much? And if I do, uh, please let me know. So part of this is getting feedback so you can recognize you're doing it. The second thing is for you to start to think about what's the point I'm trying to make. And maybe I go into meetings thinking about a couple points I wanna make and see if I can make my points without providing a tremendous amount of detail. Knowing that I tend to get long-winded, I tend to provide too much detail, so I need to be succinct and to the point. So you actually practice this as a skill and work on it as a behavior change. My goal is to be succinct and to the point. And I'm gonna time myself ahead of time when I go to meetings to think about, can I get my point across in 30 seconds or less? So really working on this as a behavior because one of the things I've seen that have most undermined executive presence more than anything else is people who are long-winded tend to get discounted as having a lesser degree of executive presence. And it impacts their ability to be
0: a more impactful leader. You know, Joel, again, that we've covered a lot of areas and different facets of what it takes to build your executive presence. And with any kind of behavioral change, I think the biggest challenge people have is not knowing where to begin. So as people are looking back and maybe reading your book and looking at these three domains and the nine competencies found across all three of these domains. Is there any advice you can give on helping them figure out where they should begin? Because obviously some people might find that there's three competencies I'm really good at. There's two that maybe I'm okay on, but then these ones here are really ones I need to work on. Is there any advice you can give to help people understand when they're looking at this model that you have that will help them understand how do I figure out where I should begin this process and really start building my executive presence?
1: What I, what I found it to be really helpful, and people have mentioned this to me and, and have said that one of the benefits of the book is that you can quickly look at the three-by-three three model and within less than a minute, you can evaluate your nine competencies. And there's evaluations you can do in the book that can tell you which ones you need to work on. But you can just look at it yourself or even share it with your manager and say, which competency do I most need to work on? So like I say, you can do this for yourself. You can have your manager provide their insight. And so you're gonna come up with one or two you most need to improve, or you might come up with one or two you're most doing most well. You can quickly assess yourself based on the three by three model. And then the value of the book is that I have nine chapters dedicated to each competency. So what I recommend people not necessarily read the book linearly, but to take the chapter that you most need to improve upon. And let's say you need to be more vocal. So you take that vocal chapter and you read through that chapter and you use it as a resource And so then the book becomes more of a resource for you because depending on the situation you're in or if you get a new role, some of your competencies and executive presence, the nine competencies, some may be improved upon and you might have new ones you have to work on. And then you can go to that chapter and use it as a resource. So I find it to be beneficial in, in the book and how you use it is depending on the competency you want to improve, you can go directly to that chapter and use it uh, to help you get better and improve that specific
0: competency. Well, Joel, I have to say it was a pleasure having you back on my show. I really enjoyed reading about this executive presence model you created from your research, and I hope we've created some clarity around what is executive presence and how leaders can develop theirs so they can be a better leader who does influence and inspire the best in those under their care. So, thanks, Joel, for the thought-provoking conversation. It's been my pleasure,
1: and I really uh, appreciated taking the time to really talk about ways that people can elevate their executive presence so that they're not holding back their power and their presence and how they come across so they fully show up in their work environment so that they're feeling engaged and excited for what they do and they don't feel like they're being held back in any way and they're not tentative or hesitant or unsure or putting themselves in positions where an unassertive passive behavior can undermine the confidence and then they're not speaking up as much and then People in the organization, you lose visibility, and then people don't know the true impact and value you bring. So really showing up with your power and presence can be a key catalyst to getting promotions and increasing the value and impact you bring to the organization so other people see you as the true impactful leader that you are.
0: If you'd like to learn more about Joel's book, as well as check out my past interview with him on this podcast, Check out the show notes for this episode on our podcast page at tavernasir.com slash LBC. And if you're interested in learning more about my speaking work, either for a keynote or a corporate training workshop, please check out my speaking page on my website, where you can learn more about the topics I share in my keynotes and corporate training sessions, as well as what past attendees have had to say about my work. I'm Tavid Nasir, and you've been listening to Leadership Biz Cafe.